630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Montreal Canadiens lead the Vancouver Canucks 3-1. That is early in the second period. Jeff Petrie has scored again for the Habs, his third of the season. Flames and Jets about to get underway in Winnipeg, Calgary, 3-3-1. The Jets sitting at 5-3. Early in the second period, the Lightning up 3-zip on the Predators. Speaking of buzzer beaters, Braden Point scoring a goal at 19.59 of the first period for the Bolts. Capitals up 2-0 on the Bruins. Chara scores again against his old team. Sprong, the other one for the Caps. So 2-0 Washington, second period about to start. And after the first, the Penguins on the road, a goal by Zucker leading the New York Rangers 1-0. The Edmonton Oilers... Back at it tomorrow, game number 12 in this 56-game season. It'll start at 8 o'clock. Our coverage here on 6.30, Chet, will commence with the face-off show at 6. They once again play the Ottawa Senators. Alex Chason on waivers today. We'll see by uh, 10 a.m. tomorrow. We'll know 10 a.m. tomorrow whether or not he clears. Mike Smith participated in the practice today. It was not a full practice 12 skaters and three goalies, really 11 skaters. Uh, James Neal didn't stay on the ice for very long, but Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen handled most of the goaltending duties in practice. Troy Grosnick, the new guy who backed up on Saturday night, he was there as well. Stuart Skinner was not on the ice after earning his first career victory last night. Exciting games for the Oilers. We'll uh, take a closer look at their power play at the return of Gaetan Haas. Hear a little bit from Tyson Berry as well, who picked up his first goal with the Oilers last night against the Senators. The football team has a new head coach. It is Jamie Elizondo, who has been in the Canadian Football League before. He has worked with several members of the Green and Gold before. For example, quarterback Trevor Harris, who he was an offensive coordinator for when Harris threw for over 5,100 yards with the, the uh, Ottawa Red Blacks in 2018. So, uh, you know, as soon as uh, we found out that Scott Milanovic was never going to coach a game for the double E, that uh, Elizondo's name immediately surfaced as a candidate. I think Noel Thorpe, who's currently the defensive coordinator for the club, also uh, his name had been bandied about. But Elizondo gets the job. He's also going to be the offensive coordinator. He spoke to our Dave Campbell and Morley Scott earlier today and uh, said, you know what, hasn't really been a traditional road to the head coaching chair for me. You know, when uh, when the XFL folded, um there was a little bit of a of a thought process of I'd been denied two opportunities and uh so my background before I started coaching I actually finished my law degree and uh, I spent a lot of time on tax law and securities and so one of the one of the transitions I made was I, I trans, transitioned over into the financial advisor uh, section. Um, I was working for a great company down in the United States and for me though it was still the reason I did that is because two two things that really matter to me in coaching right was the ability to help people and impact people's lives and change the trajectory of their lives um and then obviously the teaching and coaching component right um and i think that job and what i was doing uh i was just coaching a different subject matter if you can think of it that way but um i was blessed to have learned a great deal um and, and but uh, the universe has a way of telling you hey this is not where you belong. This is where you belong. And I don't think that uh, for lack of um, pun intended, the stars couldn't have aligned any better with this. So 
did I wake up last week expecting this to happen? Not a chance, uh, but I'm thrilled that it has. And uh, um, I'm pretty much a forward-looking guy. I try to learn from the past, but but not not dwell on it. So, uh, and there's a lot of uh, work to be done. So I'm excited and uh, ready to go. All right, so he's ready to dive in. Now, what do we often hear, especially in football, when a new coach is hired? Well, he wants to bring in his own guys. He wants to hire his own staff. Tom Higgins joined us on the show on Friday and talked about that, that the new head coach often wants his own people. Well, I don't know if we're really going to have that scenario play out with Jamie Elizondo because there are assistant coaches in place and, Hey, uh, we're into February. We're supposed to be having camp and some exhibition games in May already. So how's this going to shake down? Well, Elizondo told David Morley, a lot of the coaches on the double E staff he's already worked with. You know, I think, you know, Rick was, Rick Campbell was such a, such a good influence on me and uh, gave me a lot of leeway in 2018 with the selection, you know, of the staff and, uh, you know, was, was great in that process so to be able to say that i'm going to be working with winston october who i think is one of the most detailed uh coaches out there um uh, you know approach obviously a former player and his perspective on the on that front it was invaluable invaluable to me in 2018 i think mcdonnell um john mcdonnell does such a good job in 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 finding that balance between pushing players and correcting them, I think he's done a great job in his time up here in the CFL. So to be reunited with those two guys, fantastic. Couldn't step into a better situation. And like I mentioned, you know, in the press conference, um, Noel and I, you know, I think I think uh, Noel is a future head coach in the making. There is no doubt about that. And um, I told him when he came to us uh, from Montreal and Ottawa, I said, God, I hated playing you every year. I hated playing you more than anybody else. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, so to, to be able to, uh, to have him on the, uh, on the same side instead of the other side, I, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't be more happy. And uh, you know, he's going to be my right hand man because I'm going to lean on him and his knowledge as well. So uh, I feel truly blessed in, in that regard to have those, those, uh, those guys, uh, on board and, and, and staying on board all right so elizondo has to get to work what's the first thing he's going to do that's a great that's a great question so i think uh, you know the first step is brock and i brock has told me listen enjoy today and um you know counseling from other mentors they said just take it in today uh this isn't something that is a light accomplishment um so I might actually listen to him. Might actually just pause and, and enjoy the day and thank the people I need to thank. But uh, um, you know, we're going to address the first thing we'll do is address where we are with free agency with Brock and get a better feel for roster and what uh, what he's trying to do um, in that regard. And then the second thing is, you know, I'm going to reach out and to the players and introduce myself. I think that's the most important thing that they begin to hear from me. Um, and uh, those, those will be the first two things. But there's. There's a long list uh, behind that, fellas, of, of things that uh, that have to get done. So um, that's when you step into this role. That's part of a uh, part of the part of the gig. All right, a little bit there from Jamie Elizondo, and of course, you can get more on 630Ched.com, globalnews.ca. He's he's had an interesting path. You know, he was in the XFL. He was d- denied permission to uh, to speak to the Double E a little over a year ago. They hired. Milanovic and obviously the XFL uh, didn't pan out for that league so he, he's been through a lot and uh, David Morley asked him if he ever considered moving on from coaching 
I don't know that if you can ever put coaching in in the rearview mirror when it's in your blood, but I think for me it was, um, you know, my wife and I talked a great deal about this. What what avenue would provide us the not only the greatest growing opportunity, um, and from a knowledge perspective, but would also provide a different avenue if if football was done for us. So. Um, no, I don't. I don't know that I ever believed that football was done for me. Um, I just didn't know exactly in a COVID world what the landscape was going to look like. So we made the best decision, and it was a great decision. Uh, it grew me as a person. It grew me as a knowledge. But um, uh, again, I'll just go back to. I, I think this is where I'm meant to be, and and uh, thankful for the opportunity, and, and excited. All right, so that's a little bit from Jamie Elizondo, the new head coach of the Double E football team. We will get to know him uh, more as we move on throughout the show. Morley Scott is going to join us. A.J. Jakubik will join us in about an hour, who is the play-by-play voice of the Ottawa Red Blacks. And he got to know Elizondo during his tenure there. And Elizondo did help that team win the Grey Cup in 2016. Offensive coach, he's, uh, well, I mean, he's the offensive coordinator. So more of an offensive background, just like Jason Moss uh, before him, who uh, I, I guess, who do we consider the, mo- the the last coach of the team? I, technically, it's Scott Milanovic, never coached a game, though. though. The last coach who actually coached a game with Jason Moss, who was also the offensive coordinator, who I think knew his offensive football very well. I think he knew his game planning very well. I think the uh, issues we saw with Jason was often what happened in the second half of games and quite frankly in the second halves of seasons where perhaps they weren't as uh, adaptable and fluid as some other teams. So I think Elizondo knows how to call a game, knows how to scheme a game. Uh, Is he going to be able to uh, keep rolling with it throughout the course of a long season? And they got some good players. I mean, I think Harris is a good quarterback. Darrell Walker is back. Ellingson is coming back, which surprised me that they got him as well. So uh, we'll see. We'll see. And we'll discuss that as we move along tonight. All right. The Oilers practice today. As I mentioned, they will play again tomorrow. The power play is clicking. We will look into that and more coming up on Inside Sports. Winnipeg with an early 1-0 lead on Calgary. Kyle Connor gets his fifth of the season, came on the power play 4-31 into the game. Flames and Jets squaring off tonight. Also an all-Canadian matchup between the Canadians and the Canucks. And it is Montreal leading 5-1 with 11-20 left in the second period. Brendan Gallagher has his fourth. Jeff Petrie has scored twice. He is up to 4 on the season. Montreal just one overtime loss on the season. It came uh, on Saturday to the Calgary Flames. Hey, thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. My name is Reed Wilkins, Inside Sports on Oilers and Double E Radio 630 Ched. So obviously the significant news with the football team today. We'll uh, get some more details on that with Morley Scott coming up between 6:30 and 7. Shifting the focus to the Oilers a bit here. Well, entertaining games on the weekend. Really just an epic clash against the Maple Leafs on Saturday. McDavid scored a goal for the ages. Yesterday, my goodness, it was 5-1 for the Oilers. 13-42 into the game. 5-3 after the first. 8-3 after two. And they win it 8-5. They uh, had an opportunity. They, they had an opportunity. They did not quite get there, and I was furiously looking up a lot of records and stats while the game was being played. They had an opportunity to score 10 goals in a game for the first time since November 26, 1996, when they scored a 10-1 win 
at Calgary. They had to settle for eight last night. Stuart Skinner got his first career victory. So here's here's a big positive. Now, I, I guess you can say, all right, well, it was it was just Ottawa, and Ottawa's not stopping much of anyone lately. Fair enough, but we saw the power play do a little better in the two games against the Leafs, even going back to the second of the two games against the Winnipeg Jets after a really slow start for the power play, and quite frankly, a, a big reason why they weren't able to get a win against Montreal earlier in the year, 0 for 3 in one game, 0 for 7 in another game. And don't forget that that game where they went 0 for 7, they lost 3-1 and they allowed a shorthanded goal. So they they had their opportunities but weren't able to do it. But the power play starting to click 4 for 5 last night, one short of tying a team record for most power play goals in a game. Here's defenseman Tyson Barrett. It's nice, I think. Obviously, we were, we were getting some looks early in the season and they weren't going in, so it's nice to, you know, kind of get comfortable up there and ha- and see some pucks go in the net and, um, you know, s- see this thing click uh, kind of like it did last year. So um, hopefully that continues and uh, power play is a big part of our team and, and the success we're going to have. So um, it's nice to see those going in the net. So Barry got the goal last night. Uh, of course, Dreisaitl outstanding with six assists. McDavid had a goal and four assists. The power play. Now, here's the here's the crazy thing about the stats early in the season. We're, we're <coughs> pardon me, we're eleven games in for Edmonton. Um, basically, teams have played between six and eleven games. So Edmonton's power play is now up to 28.6%. That's 10th in the NHL. Clearly, if they stay in the high 20s, they'll be higher than 10th. Right now, Washington, 44%. The Maple Leafs are 43.3%. Several teams are in the 30s, including Dallas at 37.9%. So we'll see how this evens out. But what was one of the huge storylines in the offseason? Can the power play be as good? How much will it cost them if the power play isn't as good? Well, it cost them earlier in the season. Now it's helping them. I I think in terms of special teams, the drop-off in the penalty kill has been much, much more harmful. We talked about this last week and on our our, our face-off shows over the weekend. Two or three extra penalty kills along the way could have meant two, three, four extra points for the Oilers in the standings, maybe more if some of these games are tied and go to overtime. So that was the one thing though. Can the power play be as good? And most people automatically just said no, because 29 and a half percent from last season is insanely good. And is quite frankly, the fourth best season in terms of power play percentage since the league started keeping the stat in 77, 78, by the way, if you heard overtime open line on the weekend, we had a caller named Zach phone in and uh, Zach has called the show before. And he's actually a very good caller though. I, I did not agree with him at, at all. What he called in about Saturday, because he said, that that was incorrect, that the Oilers' power play uh, of last year is in fact ranked that high when you consider the best power plays of all time. Um, to which I said, well, yes, it is. Because all you got to do is, uh, all you got to do is click the stats. <laughs> and you see that. And he said, no, 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 no. You are using the wrong stat. And uh, all right, fair enough. So what? So what stat do you use? And, and he said, and, and he makes an interesting point. 
that the Oilers last year allowed 10 shorthanded goals. So you factor those out of the, the successful power plays. They cancel out that many successful power plays. And their net power play percentage is much lower. But again, I think we've all been clear in that how we're ranking this is by power play percentage. That is the traditional stat that the league uses to rank power plays. If you scored on one power, if you scored one power play goal and you had two chances, you're 50%. If you gave up a shorthanded goal, they don't say you're 0% on the power play because you still executed a successful power play. Now, and, and here's here's part of the the issue I would have with what Zach was arguing is that since the power play stat became one recorded by the NHL, again, back in 1977-78, there have been 1,106 individual team seasons. So if you say, if you just use power play percentage, the Oilers are in the top five out of just over 1,100 power plays, which clearly qualifies as one of the best all time. If you want to use Zach's argument and say that the net power play percentage is the stat instead of just power play percentage, the Oilers are 19th all time out of 1,106, which in my world is still among the best of all time. Yes, they drop 14 or 15 spots or whatever it is, uh, but I would say that they would still be among the best of all time. So anyway, that, that's, that's, that's what I would say to that. Now, could they do it again? My argument before the season, and I'm going to go back to this now that they're up around that percentage again, my argument is why not, and, and they can do it, and here's why. If you look at the other power plays that have been up around 30% in a season, either just above it or just below it, in those instances, those teams have been able to repeat that level of success and they've been able to do it for several years. Let me remind you of this. The Montreal Canadiens, in all, for the year, I'll just use the year in, in which the season ended. The Montreal Canadiens in 1978 were 31.9% on the power play. In 1979, they were 28.3% on the power play. And in 1980, they were 291 that is a three-year run of over 28% and one year above 30. They had a lot of talented offensive players on those, on those teams. The Oilers have some extremely talented offensive players on their power play. The New York Islanders, the other team that continually pops up when you talk about historically good power plays. 1978, 31.4%. I'm sure people were saying after that year, 31.4%. They'll never do it again. Oh, really? Because in 1979, they were 31.2%. So I guess technically they didn't do it again. They dropped off by 0.2 of a percent. Now, they did drop off in 1980 to 23.4%, which is still a good power play. They rebound in 1981 to 29.3%, and then in 82, they are 27.8%. So that is why I say, don't tell me the Oilers can't do it again. Don't tell me it's an outlier that is somewhat fluky and impossible to repeat. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl are two of the deadliest offensive weapons currently playing in the NHL. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is an extremely good power play player with a good shot who is a very good passer. Tyson Berry has been 
a very good power play defenseman throughout the course of his career. And then, sure, the the net front guy, is it going to be Neal? Is it going to be Chason? Is it going to be Pugliarvi? Is it going to be Yamamoto? Does it matter? That person will chip in a few goals while the other four are going to work. So for the Oilers to be up to 28.6% does not surprise me at all. And I think that they can maintain that level. And I've just explained why. Other teams who were that good, I mean, I'm not talking like having a good power play, oh, 23% for a few years in a row. No, I'm talking up around 30%. Every team that's done it once, and there's only been a couple franchises, but those teams that have done it once have done it again, and then they have at least done it a third time. And in the case of the Islanders, they've done it a fourth and a fifth time. So if the only argument you have is that the Oilers can't repeat their power play because, oh my goodness, that's a pretty high number, well, guess what? The other teams that have got that high number have done it again. And I continue to believe the Oilers are on the path to doing that again, especially if Tyson Berry keeps banging away from the point on the power play. Here's what he said about that. Yeah, I don't think you ever want to just, you know, blast away. You know, you want to make sure you have a lane. And um, obviously when you got, you know, guys on the flanks that are, you know, such uh, great players, you want to get them the puck and have the puck in their hands as often as possible. But, um, you know, you got to shoot to loosen the other team up. And, and these guys are so good at making plays off broken plays and rebounds. So um, I think it's a, a, another threat that teams are going to have to respect and, you know, maybe get them a little more room on the half walls or, you know, in the middle. So um, I'll try to, you know, shoot when, when it's necessary and, and try not to get too many blocked and um, maybe free these guys up a little bit. He shot a lot last night, and it helped. That's Tyson Berry. Quick timeout. Morley Scott's coming up inside sports on Chet. Sign up for the podcast. Get a canned ham delivered to your door. Once the pandemic is over. NHL tonight, late in the first period. Jets up 2-0 on the Flames. Kyle Connor has both goals, both on the power play. Now has six goals on the season. Flames have just three shots on net. Late in the second period, the Canadians cruising. What else is new? Leading Vancouver 5-1. Late in the second period, Tampa Bay with a 4-0 cushion on the Predators. Palat, Gord, Point, and Stamkos, the goal scorers. Capitals up 3-1 on the Bruins in the second. And also in the second, Penguins leading the Rangers 1-zip. Oilers and Senators tomorrow, 6 o'clock face-off show here on 6.30, Chad. The game will start at 8 as the Oilers pursue their third consecutive victory and yet another opportunity to move to 500, which they have uh, failed to do so when they've had other opportunities to do it this season. A little more Oilers talk coming up in a few minutes, but we welcome back to the show the play-by-play voice of the Edmonton football team here on 6.30, Chad. Also the guy who gives you your sports every morning. He's staying up late to do this at 6.34 uh, in the evening. It is Morley Scott. Morley, how are you doing? I'm good. I mean, hey, I'm just, I don't go to bed that early. I'm just making supper tonight. And, uh, and, uh, I got a couple hours before I hit the hay yet. So, let's well, I don't know. I've, I, you've never, you, you, I think you have to go to bed pretty early. Like you're, I, you start wind, you start winding down around 4 30 in the afternoon, from my experience. Uh, that's about when I get up from my nap about 4 30 in the afternoon. And I do, you're right, though. I do have to wind down. I spend time, Taking those, you know, maybe sitting in front of the TV, taking some deep breaths and meditating a little bit and getting set to go to sleep because, you know, sleep is God's gift, right? You got to have it. That's right. That's right. Well, I appreciate you doing this. Obviously, you uh, you had a little bit of extra work today. You're on from 11 to noon. 
We had our special broadcast to welcome Jamie Elizondo as the head coach of the Double E football team. So they didn't wait long. They, they couldn't wait long. No. Nope. Did, did you get the sense from any, any conversations you had that w- was there uh, sort of another interview process here? Noel Thorpe was speculated as perhaps a candidate, or was this Brock just going out and getting Elizondo? I think Brock just went out and got Alexando, uh, Elizondo. He talked uh, today, uh, Brock Sunderland did, the fact that uh, he pretty much had an interview with him for the year they worked together in Ottawa. He said that they they were together a lot. They ate together. They sat together on the planes. They they you know they ate, they spent a lot of time together talking football, and they really have a good chemistry talking football. They really enjoy each other. They kind of uh, they're kind of along the same lines and same philosophy. Uh, and let's be honest, if um, if the XFL had have allowed Jamie Elizondo out of his contract um, a year ago, he'd be the coach of the Edmonton Football Club right now, and we wouldn't be uh, even talking about Scott Milanovic. It was after uh, after uh, Sunderland couldn't get Elizondo in place, that's when he started to cast a wider net, and that's when Milanovic's name came up. And at the time, it was a great hire, and you know nobody knew COVID was going to hit, and nobody knew how it was going to play out. It turned out to be a great hire that didn't turn out to be a great hire at the end of it. Uh, so I think today and this week, uh, Brock Sunderland got his guy. He got the guy he wanted for the job last year and got him a year late, but but got him, and I think he's pretty happy about it. So I, I, I know you and Dave asked Elizondo about this, and I played the clip in the first half hour of the show, but what this means for the rest of his coaching staff. Because most, I, I think football more than any other sport, the coach says, I want my own guys. And he said, well, some of the guys I know are already here. Do you, do you take that kind of a, at face value that he's not going to make any changes? And perhaps there isn't the time or opportunity to make changes being hired February 1st. Yeah, there. I don't know how much time there is. There's some coaches out there who are looking for work, but most of the coaches, I think, are in place for the uh, the next football season. I think uh, he wa- if he wants to put his uh, his coaching staff in place, Reed, I think it's already here, a lot of those guys. Uh, um, he already said that, that Noel Thorpe is a guy he trusts, considers him the best defensive coordinator in the Canadian Football League, and is a guy that he will lean on and spend a lot of time with, so that's no problem. Um, he talked about a few of the, the other guys as well uh, who are on staff, who were on staff with him in uh, in Ottawa when he was there for three years or for part of that and he had great things to say about them so I think I don't know I don't think anybody will be leaving the staff I think there might maybe there'll be some additions even because I'm going to say uh, Jamie Elizondo's probably not making the money that uh, Scott Milanovic was uh, due to make and because of the coaches cap I think that they didn't have room for a, a complete coaching staff they were going to go uh, last we heard with six coaches including Milanovic I think maybe they'll be able to add some guys now going forward because of that so uh, I don't think any will be subtracted uh, from it but I think they'll be uh, added to I mean like he had great things to say about Winston October and said he's a, a real detailed guy a real up-and-coming uh, offensive minded coach in the Canadian Football League so he likes him he likes uh, he likes Noel Thorpe he likes his offensive line coach I, I just think that uh, the guys that he would hire anyway kind of are in place already and I think that's a, another reason why this hire for Elizondo to be head coach of the football club was the right move at the right time what do you know about his offensive style because he's going to be the offensive coordinator you know, I mentioned in, in the first half hour of the show that Jason Moss was the offensive coordinator. And, uh, you know, I, I think we saw 
at times that Jason knew how to call a game and knew how to game plan. I, I mean, I, I know a lot of people didn't like Jason, but I thought, well, if you're going to blame him for stuff, you got to give him credit when things go right. That, that you know, Harris picking apart Montreal and setting a completion percentage for the playoffs in, in the East semifinal in 2019, I mean, you got to give Moss some credit there too. He drew up that game plan. Jason was criticized for adapting in the second half and adapting even the, in the second half of, of seasons was maybe his drawback the way, the way I see it. What do we know about how Alessandro is going to approach the offense? Well, it's going to be that same style of offense, that, that, that style of offense that, that kind of the umbrella from Mark Tressman going out. I mean, it, 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 it scans that coaching style offensively. Uh, we've seen it here before with, with uh, a Chris Jones offense, with the Jason Moss offense uh, when they were head coaches. Uh, he, I think Jamie Elizondo is going to have that the same kind of style with different wrinkles and different twists. I, I think uh, he gets a little more, I believe, a little more creative possibly with his receivers. You go back to those the, those couple of years in Ottawa when they had all those thousand yard receivers, right? Uh, that was Jamie Elizondo, who was the offensive coordinator at that time. You talked about Harris's performance in the 2019 playoffs. Uh, go back to, uh, I want to get the year right, 2017 when uh, or 2018, and one of those two, I think it was 2018, going to the Grey Cup. Uh, remember, he threw six touchdown passes in a game uh, to to win for Ottawa and, and take them to the Grey Cup. So uh, he's got he's got that same style that we've seen a lot of, but he's got his little different wrinkles to it and I'm, I'm looking forward to to seeing it up close and seeing how he can develop especially with the with the playmakers and the weapons he has on this team in the receiving core and at quarterback in Trevor Harris who is a guy who's just so accurate with his passing well and Greg Ellingson remains one of those weapons and I gotta tell you Morley when I saw Darrell Walker coming back to play in the green and gold I thought, okay, well, I mean, that's it for Ellingson and Milanovic yeah, is moving else. on. So, was so did did the Ellingson signing on Saturday tip you off that maybe it was going to be Elizondo? I, I kind of think so. I don't think Greg Ellingson, uh, he's the kind of a player, uh, has the status as a veteran. I think he wants to know who his coach is going to be and who his offensive coordinator is going to be because he doesn't want to go to a situation that's not right for his talents. And I think that uh, Brock probably had to tip him off and say, hey, I know you had some good years with Jamie Elizondo in Ottawa. He's going to be the offense coordinator. He's going to be the head coach. So uh, let's try and get something done and, and have some success. Uh, everyone thought that uh, it's probably the end of the line for Greg Ellingson because of the signing of Darrell Walker. So I chalked that up to, to Brock Sunderland and another surprise. I mean, he's been he's been full of surprises uh, as a general manager since he arrived here, the way he, he dealt with all the injuries in 2017, uh, the way he dealt with the departure of Mike Riley and, and ended up bringing in Trevor Harris and all those free agents uh, back before the 2019 season, uh, the way uh, he signed Darrell Walker, the way he signed uh, Greg Ellingson, the way he went out and got Scott Milanovic when nobody said Scott Milanovic could be talked into leaving the NFL to come back to the CFL. He went out and got him. Uh, and obviously it didn't work out the way he had hoped in, in a couple of those occasions, uh, especially with Milanovic. But he continues to make moves that uh, surprise a lot of people and, and a lot of moves that a lot of people think aren't possible to get done. Brock Sunderland seems to find a way to get them done. Morley Scott joining us then at Inside Sports, play-by-play voice for the E football team. Perhaps this coaching news has uh, overshadowed. Is it now free agency in the CFL? Did it start today? The window opens up. Uh, window the opens w- up oh, this is the, the, the legal tampering window? Is yes. that what it is? The legal okay. tampering window has flown wide open, so everything they did last <laughs> week they can do legally this week in the Canadian football okay. league, right? And they can so, be above board about it. So co- GMs can go out and they can start to recruit. Uh, they can make phone calls to Freeze and say, hey, 
this is what we see for you in our offense, in our defense, on our special teams. We want to feature you this way. We want you to play this style. Uh, what kind of money are you looking for, and does that interest you? And they can come together on, on deals. They'd have to be registered if they do a complete deal. Most people don't do complete deals because the team and the players then be holding to those deals uh, come Tuesday when free agency opens up. But there's a lot of chatter that goes back and forth, and it kind of sets the table for those announcements that come uh, on Tuesday just after 10 o'clock our time. Tuesday morning when free agency opens up. So it is it is the legal tabling period to take away the tampering period that continually exists in the Canadian Football League. Uh, and uh, we will see we will see uh, the fruits of that labor coming up Tuesday for all the teams across the league. Free agency opens up on Tuesday. I believe it's at 10 a.m. noon Eastern. So is that tomorrow? That's tomorrow already. No, a week tomorrow. Sorry, a week. A week oh, tomorrow. sorry, the ninth. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So February the ninth. Okay, so I want to ask you this, though, because obviously the, the the tough thing for a lot of players is some players have been released because today was the day they were going to get roster bonuses, such as Ricky Collins Jr., who's, who's a pretty good receiver. Mm-hmm. So I, I saw some, some banter on Twitter involving, oddly enough, members of the media who cover the CFL and some current players um, because I saw some people arguing, okay, well, you lose your roster bonus, but that means you'll you can be a free agent and you go out and get a contract, right? Yeah, which is better than being cut in the middle of June. But but then the other side of that is for the players. Well, what if I get cut, don't get this money, and never play football again? Maybe I'm out twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars. Is that sort of a, a summary of the of the two sides of this? It is. It's got two sides to it, really. It, it, first off, the optics are horrible. It just looks bad, right? When a player gets released the day before uh, he's due to get a bonus, it looks bad. There's no way around that. No one can argue that. It, it, it's, it's a bad look for the Canadian Football League. But there is a benefit to the player from this, and, and we've seen this a couple of times. Now, let's take Ricky Collins Jr., for example. So he's been released from his contract. He doesn't get his signing bonus, but he gets the opportunity to go out into the market a week ahead of every other uh, wide receiver that's that's out there that's going to be a free agent he's he can he can negotiate his deal and sign his deal now he can do it now and and virtually take the money that uh, teams are saying they've put aside so if a team uh, wants to make sure they've got their guy they can go out and sign rookie Collins. now we saw this a uh, couple of years ago when Adarius bowman was released uh he went out instead of waiting for free agency he ended up signing a few days later with the the winnipeg blue bombers uh and and he didn't have to wait for free agency so Basically, it allows the players who get released a chance to go out and get their hands on the grab the money first, right? There's only so much money left in the pot for every team when they hit free agency, and they got to spread it around to to fill all their needs. These guys can go there first; they can get their hands on it first, and I think that's the advantage for the player. But again, it just doesn't look good, and I I, I don't like. I think they need to do something to kind of to clean it up somehow to make it look better. But I mean, the, the situation with uh, with Toronto and Ottawa with the two quarterbacks is is it's just kind of ridiculous, really, when you think about it. Both were do six-figure bonuses today. Uh, Matt Nichols was supposed to get $220,000 from the Toronto Argonauts. Uh, they couldn't reach a restructured deal with him. Uh, uh, Ottawa couldn't reach a restructured deal with Nick Arbuckle. And uh, they both get released and sign with each other's teams. It's it's really a weird, <laughs> weird situation. I mean, uh, Nick Arbuckle was the answer in Toronto. 
uh, and uh, or Matt Nichols was the answer in Toronto. Nick Arbuckle was the answer in Ottawa. They never even got a chance to hear the question before they got released because uh, of of the salary bonus structure. And I think that's this. It's kind of a, a, a strange deal this year, Reed, because of COVID, because of the fact they didn't play last year, because of the fact teams don't have a lot of cash around right now to make those kind of payments because they never they haven't made a dime since the season ended at the end of uh, at the end of October and November last year. They haven't sold a ticket. They haven't sold much merchandise. They haven't done much as far as bringing money in so it's pretty tough to send it out the door just like any other business you got to make those tough decisions sometimes and uh, I think we see uh, we've seen a little bit more of that this year both those quarterbacks by the way got signing bonuses with their new teams not as much but they got signing bonuses with their new teams as they moved uh, as they basically crossed each other on the highway going from Toronto to Ottawa or Ottawa to Toronto Okay, so the double E got a coach. They, you know, they got Walker, Ellingson, Sting. Those are some of the headlines from this off season of the season that never happened. But now with free agency, who, you know, what big names, if any, could the double E lose? Like, is is Sewell a, a free agent? Could he possibly uh, yeah, be on the way out, or what's going on? The big names that haven't signed that, that come to mind right now are uh, Elmondo Sewell on the defensive line and Matt O'Donnell on the offensive line. They're probably the two biggest name players that have not signed uh, contracts as of yet. And I know that uh, we kind of addressed that a little bit with uh, General Manager Brock Sunderland today, and he said that he's still talking with some of his guys. He didn't mention anybody by name, but he said he's still talking with some of the, the, more, uh, the more noticeable players and the more notable players on his team to try and get them under contract. So talks are continuing uh on that front um it, you know that like again it goes back to i think if if they had a season last year things would be different this year uh they wouldn't have this issue of, of finances because teams are obviously spending less money right now giving up less in bonuses going in a lot of the bonuses uh for signing contracts this year instead of a signing bonuses there'll be a report and play bonus instead so uh you don't get that bonus until training camp starts and you arrive and pass your physical uh but uh Sewell and O'Donnell are the two biggest names right now that uh the double e have to deal with uh they've got a few other guys who are important uh, they're linebackers too they they got Vontae Diggs under contract. Um, Justin Tuggle, though, um, the guy they signed a year ago to be their middle linebacker, he needs to get signed or someone to play middle linebacker needs to get signed. So that's uh, that's the big holes right now that Brock Sunderland has to deal with this week before free agency or when free agency opens on Tuesday. All right. Next week. Morally, man, a, a lot going on considering we haven't had games to talk about in yeah, about been, uh, 14 it, or 15 months. So it's been <laughs> thanks a lot for the of update. Fun. Yeah, you bet. It's been a lot of fun the last couple of weeks because there's been so much happening and, and it's been just cool to, whether it be on Twitter or on the air or, or whatever, just talk and CFL football again. So it gets you real excited for what hopefully is going to happen in, uh, in the 2021 season. That is Morley Scott checking in as the double E football team has a new coach, Jamie Elizondo, and uh, some talk about the impending free agency and how that could impact the team. It is 6.50. So there you have it. The uh, The coaching saga with the double E gets quickly ironed out. Happy to hear from you tonight on the open line, 780-496-0063. If you want to talk about the hire, if you want to talk about a crazy weekend for the Oilers and where you think they might be headed, we do have time for you. 780-496-0063. Leon Dreisaitl with a paltry six assists last night. He is one of the NHL's three stars of the week, along with his teammate Connor McDavid. And uh, Thatcher Demko, the goaltender for the Vancouver Canucks, was the first star of the week. Dreisaitl, McDavid, 
uh, well, actually, McDavid Dreisaitl won two in scoring. McDavid tied for the lead in goals. Uh, McDavid had 12 points in four games. Uh, Dreisaitl had 12 points in four games, and uh, they continue to rack them up. 780-496-0063. We have Robert standing by. Robert, thanks for calling. Go ahead. Hey, Reed, How's it going? Doing well. Good to hear from you, buddy. Uh, you know, I think uh, I want to talk a little bit about about these uh, uh, about the Oilers and their uh, and uh, and those last two games. I think you know what I think. Uh, I think they showed they should. I think I think we knew all along that eventually the power play would eventually start to click once Barry started shooting the puck from back there because as Rob Brown had mentioned, when Barry shoots that puck, the, the players move out. They they respect they respect the shot a little more and allowing and giving McDavid and Drysaddle and Nuge a little more room to operate. And I think you know what? And I think uh, you know how you were talking earlier that uh, with the that, that the power play is going to finish around the same as last year. I think honestly, there's no reason there's no reason they can't there's no reason that uh, uh, that they can't finish. You know, like over thirty, like thirty between thirty and thirty-one percent, and you know, and I think it's then I think as far as the, as far as the penalty killing goes, I think, I think once uh, I think once once we get Mike Smith back in net, I think uh, I think I think you see the the penalty kill will kind of will kind of start to you know even out a little bit because I think I think part of I think part of the problem is you're seeing a lot of guys on the kill are you know maybe squeezing the stick a little too hard because thinking, well, you know, Koskinen's in the net. He's played every game, you know, maybe he's getting tired. So, 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 you know, so, you know, you know, there's, there's kind of maybe that, that mental aspect of, well, you know, we don't, you know, we don't want to make a mistake and, you know, and Koskinen has to face, you know, four or five shots on one power play. But, you know, like that's kind of the, you know, like that, uh, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Well, I'll tell you what, Robert. I'm gonna I'm gonna save this audio that you said it could be even better than last year because everybody says I'm crazy when I say that. So you, you know you got to take some heat too here, okay? <laughs> uh, well, well, no, well, no. Hey, I mean, you know what? I'm, I, you know what? I'm willing to, you know what? You know what? Honestly, I'm willing to wear it. I'm, you know, and uh, I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing to wear that. And I'm, you know, and I'm, uh, you know, I'll even eat the curl if I have to. But, but <laughs> that's but, okay. But, uh, but uh, I mean, you know what, I think, you know what, I think, uh, I think, you know, like I, I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm still, uh, I'm still standing by that the team is going to, you know, I'm still standing by my prediction that we're, we're going to finish somewhere in the top two, at the very least, the top three in the division. We are going to be a playoff team, you know, and I think we're going to make a run. I think we'll win a round, maybe two, but, you know, that's, uh, uh, but, uh, you know, uh, that's where I stand on it. That'd be awesome. Robert, always appreciate your calls, buddy. Enjoy the game tomorrow, okay? All right. All right. All right, Reed. Thanks a lot. That is Robert checking in. Often gives me a ring, 780-496-0063. I, I missed uh, the, the entire goal, but I think the Flames just scored from outside the blue line on Connor Hellbuck. Uh, Tanev dumped it in, scored seven seconds into the second period. So the Jets up 2-1 now on Calgary. Dreisaitl, six assists. Tyson Berry got on the board on the power play. And uh, it was funny today, uh, Ryan Rashog, our buddy over at TSN, asked Barry about playing with Dreisaitl. Uh, yeah, I don't want to pump his tires too hard because he's sitting right next to me. But, um, 
I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty special uh, the way he sees the game and and uh, how he's able to deliver the puck. And um, I think his pe backhand passing is probably might be better than his forehand. And it's, uh, um, you know, it's it's world class and probably the best in the game right now. So very uh, very fortunate to to get to see it on a nightly basis. And how do you guys uh, keep him humble? No, you don't. <laughs> he's good and he knows it. <laughs> That's Tyson Barrett. Leon does know he's good. I think we all know that he's good. Okay, we're coming up to the 7 o'clock news and weather. We will uh, combine the hockey talk with the football talk with our next guest, A.J. Jakubik, out of Ottawa. Of course, an Edmonton native, has done uh, very well covering the Ottawa sports scene and did play-by-play -play for the Oil Kings early in their most recent history. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad.